Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We're going, to, we're, looking at, we're going through a series in Daniel at the moment, and um, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 today. We're going to look at the first half of that. Um, we're going to read up to verse 24. I think the, the words will come up, but I think they're only going to go up to 23, but we're going to read 20, up to verse 24 as well. Um, I'm going to read it to you. Feel free to follow. Um, it's, it's quite long, um, so it might be a little bit laborious to, all, to read out loud together, but try and enter into this dramatic story. So, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. He answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter, or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is a decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom 
wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Part two next week. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you'd help me to articulate it, Lord, clearly. And I pray for all those listening, Lord, you know what they need to hear right now. You know what, what they need to hear. You know what, everything that's going on. You are the revealer of mysteries. You know the different things people are living with. You know the situations. You know the questions. You know the things that need unlocking. You know it all, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, you'd use this, this kind of simple, um, foolish thing of preaching, Lord, to bring power, to bring life, to bring fresh sense of faith. Lord, you've chosen, you've chosen the foolishness of preaching. Lord, in your own wisdom, Lord, to, to do away with the wisdom of the world. So we want to pray you'd use it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get into the, the main points of the thing, I, want, I, I don't know whether any of you noticed a discrepancy. Any of you noticed a discrepancy in the passage here? We're told in Daniel 1 that um, during, the, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then we have three years of Daniel going through his training. Then we're told in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams. You go, hold on a minute, how does that work? Now you see, when you come across things like this in the Bible, you have to stop and ask the question. Otherwise, what can do, happen is little doubts can creep in. Does that make sense? You can find a discrepancy or an apparent contradiction and you skate over it. And then as a result, you can then find another one and skate over that. And before you know it, in a subtle way, your confidence in Scripture begins to get undermined. Okay, so I did a little bit of research into this and I wanted to just show you uh, five different potential um, reasons for what's going on here. I don't know which one is right, but the reason I want to show you it is to just essentially, I guess... Um, show us that, that <clears throat> we must treat the text with the respect it deserves. And there will be things going on here that we may not uh, automatically understand or, or realize. So it's important that we give it the thought that it deserves. So here are, here are the various things that could be going on. Uh, number one, it could be that it's not chronological and that um, Nebuchadnezzar has, has these dreams some. Uh, during the time where Daniel is still in his three years of training. And that could explain why Daniel doesn't initially seem to be called in and maybe even know exactly what's going on. Because we know after the three years that he was part of, he was counted as one of the magi magicians and enchanters. He was lumped in with those guys. Um, so it could be that it happened then so that it's not exactly chronological. That's probably not what's going on here because it reads very chronologically. Um, so it's probably not what's going on here, but that's one option. A second option is this, is that Nebuchadnezzar began governing during the reign of his father, but only later officially became the king. Now we know from various historical uh, annals that that sometimes was the case, that someone 
functionally begun raining before they officially begun raining. I guess we've got something not exactly the same, but similar. Currently, who's the king? Charles. He's not been coronated yet. Um, so when are you going to date it from? And you do get these longer periods of that in some of the ancient literature. So it could just be that. Thirdly, um, the, the Old Testament was written uh, in Greek, um, and that's called the Septuagint. It's not the original, it was written in Hebrew, but um, in ancient times it was also translated into Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. Um, and there are currently two Greek translations of Daniel preserved in the Septuagint that we have access to. One of them says two years, one of them says 12 years. So you do get these textual variants. There are no textual variants in the Bible that make any difference to the meaning of the text. It's important that you understand that. But you do occasionally, particularly with numbers, get textual variants. So it could be 12 years, not two years. Fourth option. Many rabbinic commentaries, so Jewish commentaries, count the reign of Nebuchadnezzar as starting from the destruction of the temple. So Daniel, so there were a number of there were a number of um, exiles from Jerusalem into into Babylon. I think it came in three waves, um, and at the and, and the final lot was was when the whole city and uh, and the temple was razed to the ground. And so, in a Jewish mindset, really, it, the, the destruction of the temple was so significant that it's actually very very likely that many Jewish people would not have actually counted the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, as being any, anything like legitimate until from that point onwards. That, they were viewing it through a very Jewish lens. That's a, a fourth option. The fifth one's really fascinating. I don't know if this story has reminded you of any other stories in the Bible, but the parallels of the story of Joseph are, are enormous. So, for example, in both stories, with Joseph and Daniel, you've got a young, good-looking Israelite taken into captivity who rises to prominence after interpreting the king's dream. You have an agitated king. You have a court that's unable to interpret the dream. The hero has someone at court who presents him to the king. Both times it's said that the interpretation of dreams rests with God, and God makes known what will come to pass. Genesis chapter 41, which is the beginning of this moment for Joseph, starts with after two years' time. And so one theory is is that this was inserted. So it's, not, it's actually not a historically accurate comment, but it's to do with the authorial intent that the historical concerns in this moment of the author are not the driving force behind the passage. So there's these things that, that all these parallels that are sitting here, they stick this at the start to point you to it, to try to show you the, the parallels. Now there, there's five very rich and very diverse ways of dealing with Something that at first appearance is a discrepancy. I could have just glossed over it. I didn't want to. Neither am I going to spend the whole next three hours, which is how long this sermon's going to be, <laughs> going through which one I think it is. But I think it's important that what we do is that we treat the text with the respect it deserves and don't jump to conclusions about contradictions and discrepancies and all of that. This, this, is, this is the most influential book on the planet. This is the best-selling book on the planet. This is, this is the, this, I mean, you know, that's with all Christian conviction put to one side. This has to be, on, a, on the most objective basis, the most respected bit of literature, piece of literature in the whole world.
So it's ever so important that when you do find these kinds of things that you actually stop and just look into it and um, make sure you don't develop a superficial reading of Scripture or just a soundbite reading of Scripture, fridge magnet reading of Scripture. You know, that we want to get into richer things than that, don't we? Amen? Okay, right. Here we go. Main points of this sermon. First point, wrong time, wrong place. (laughs) Poor old Daniel. The thing is, is that when we read biblical narratives, we read, we read the whole story normally in one sitting, and so you don't really engage with the psychological and emotional stress of what's going on. Yeah. So we, I read that passage, by the time we get to the end, God's spoken, hallelujah, everything's going to be all right. Now we love all of that. The problem is, is that as we go through life walking with God, we often find ourselves in seasons where we haven't got to the happily ever after yet. Now, if you read the Bible without stopping during these stories and just pondering what would this have been like in this moment, then you can end up going wrong because what you do in your mind is that you assume that what you're experiencing, the people in the Bible never experienced. And then you end up thinking you're either you're doing something wrong or you know, God's not real or God's not the same or whatever. But actually what's really going on is you're not really engaging with what they were going through. This is an incredibly stressful situation. I'm currently working through the book of uh, Proverbs in my own devotional time. It says this, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests hearts. I was reading about a crucible. I thought, I, wonder, I think I know what it is, but what is it? And one of the comments said this. It said, a crucible might change or reveal an individual's true character. It's a place where things are heated up. And the Bible talks about our faith being tested. And that our faith is more precious than gold. Gold is refined in the fire, but our faith being more precious than gold is truly refined in the fire. And there are these seasons where you just go, Lord, why is this going on? I can't, look, I can't find any foolish decision I made as to why it should be like this. Daniel had done nothing wrong. He's just plunged into this. Folks, it's like that sometimes. Okay, It's just like that sometimes. Everyone goes through hardship, believer or not. But for the believer, they can see the redemptive hand of God behind it, testing their heart, trying their faith, not to be mean, not, not out of any malice, but because he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. That's, that's the kind of love we're talking about. He loves, he loves us. He loves us. God so loved the world, this rebellious, broken, godless world. He so loved it, he gave his one and only son, right? So it's a love that doesn't love based on our performance. Hallelujah. Okay? But it's a love that loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. Because a lot of the ways that we are don't lead to fruitfulness, don't lead to life. You see, so we've got to understand there's this holistic view of the love of God. And that's what the crucible's about. It's about God saying, no, we're going to put you through it so you come out like gold. You can, so that's the only way you get made more like Jesus. 
Let me just read to you some of the things that the Apostle Paul experienced in his life. He's just describing, basically, there's some people saying he's not very spiritual. And, and he has to write to them. And he basically makes his whole, his whole boast of his spirituality based on his weakness. He says this, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. They, would, they wouldn't do 40 lashes because it would kill you. Ex, they were expert at scourging. So 39 would put you in a bad way without killing you. Right? Five times he received that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. And then he goes on to talk about how the Lord wanted him to learn about weakness. He said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's what Jesus said to him. And then he responds in this way. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. My genuine conviction is that we're in a season where Western Christianity is being exposed. It's being exposed as uh, self-serving and uh, pretty selfish, shallow. And um, because life's getting a bit harder. Life's just getting a bit harder for all of us. There's all kinds of things that, that, that we think, oh, why is it like this? Why, why is it like that? And sometimes it's because people in higher places don't make the right decisions. Some, it's all kinds of th things. Sometimes it's things totally beyond anyone's control. Sometimes it's the accumulation of poor decisions made by generations upon generations coming to a, coming to a client. It's all kinds of stuff. It's beyond our control. But the Lord will use it to refine his church. The Lord, will, the Lord will use it to deepen our faith if we let him. I was out f f with, with a, f a friend from our old church for dinner just the other night. He told me of two, two couples, dear friends of ours from the past, both of whom have um, left the faith in the last few years. Radical couples. One of them literally pretty much, you know, I think, sold everything or something like that to, to, to move halfway across the world to church plant. The other couple, uh, he was an elder in an RM church, just left the faith. I think, I think we're in trying times. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes we can say, I'm in the wrong time, in the wrong place. God's saying, no, I'm just, I'm just deepening your faith if you'll let me. Just deepening your faith if you'll let me. 
so that he'll move us out of something that can accidentally at its core be a Jesus makes my life better message to a living for Jesus message. They're just completely different things. <laughs> completely different things. So that's the first thing I wanted to draw your attention to. The second thing is this. You might overlook this. We're told in Daniel 1 that he, is, he had understanding in all visions and dreams. So he had a spiritual gift. And also we know that he's confident in God. That God is going to give him the revelation that he needs. Because if we, if we look together at um, the passage early on. He says, we're told in verse... Um, 16, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is before he's got the interpretation. Right? So he's got a spiritual gift. We're told in chapter 1 he's got understanding, all visions and dreams. And then he's confident God's going to give him it. Okay? But now I want you to see what he does. As soon as he's done that, he went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so they wouldn't be destroyed. He got his mates to pray. No matter how gifted you are, you need running partners. I'll take that as an amen. No matter how gifted you are, you need brothers and sisters that you can call on, that can run alongside you, that will stand with you, that will pray with you. And if you don't, if you don't build those relationships in the normal times, you don't know where to go in the tough times. You can't build those in the tough times. Yeah, just at that point, you're struggling. You, literally, you think, oh no, I don't know who to turn to because you've not built. One of the things we do in this church is, is we call it running partners. It's really just the idea is to have a handful of people in your life that you're genuinely running the race with, that you're sharing with, that you're praying with, that you're, that you're able to share what's going on in your heart with, that you're really better to talk with. And I do want to say, throw out a challenge, I want to say to those of you that are married, that it's not enough that it's just your spouse. Number one, it's not fair on your spouse. And, but num number two, it's just that you're, you're one. You're one as much as you're two. <laughs> the Lord wants to broaden out deep relationships with brothers and sisters so that we can really lean on each other and call each other to pray into these things. It's so, so important. And let me say, I acknowledge that some, some of us find this a lot harder than others. Some of us seem to have like a, almost a gravitational pull. Wherever we go, we've got running partners. <laughs> Others of us, we get stuck in the dodgy one for years and then don't know what to do after that or whatever. <laughs> I know how it goes. I know how it goes. All right, we've got to be real about these things. You know, well, I won't do that again. You know, no, come on, no. No. <laughs> something, something got triggered there, obviously. <laughs> As I was preparing this, I was reminded of that picture of Elijah under the broom tree. Exhausted. Suicidal. There's moments in scripture where certain heroes are suicidal. They've had enough. Can't do anymore. Utterly spiritually exhausted. They had an amazing spiritual high. 
now completely on alone, just sitting under this broom tree, totally alone, and you know, just hasn't got, just got nothing in him. But you know, this this season precedes the next season, and the next season is where God brings Elisha into his life, and they walk together for a period until he passes on the mantle. And for those of you where it's just a struggle to open up your heart deeply to brothers and sisters, it's just hard. You don't even know why. You want to, but you don't want to. Or you want to, but, 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 there's stuff, you know, I understand. I want to just ask that you would do this, that you would commit the matter to prayer. That you'll say to the Lord, Lord, please will you bring one or two people into my life that will be able to run with me in a mutually fruitful and encouraging way. Because he cares, doesn't he? He cares about us. So I ask him, and just, just, just commit to pray to that until he does it. Because he wants this. The reason I'm preaching this is not because I want it. It's because God wants it. It's the, the, all through the scriptures, the importance of fellowship, the importance of spiritually meaningful relationships where we can stand with each other and call on God together for mercy. Notice this is Daniel's default, a gifted man, an extraordinary man, not an independent man. And there's nothing godly about being independent. We're called to be interdependent. All that Jesus and me stuff. Okay, hallelujah for a personal relationship with Jesus. All right, but if it's just Jesus and me, you, you, you're not even at the you're not even at the start of what God planned. Okay, He's called us into a people, a family, to run with together. So that's really important. And then the final thing, <clears throat> verse twenty-four. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed. He said to him, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. I'm struck here by Daniel's concern for the other people. I'd be saying, don't destroy me. (laughs) Or, don't destroy me and my mates. These other guys were... Well, as, we, as the story goes on, you'll read some of them actually tried to get him killed later on. They're not godly men. Um, they're into all kinds of dark arts and weirdness. Daniel says, don't destroy them. And... Uh, Here's the, here's the thing I was thinking about, is that when we are going through trying seasons, we can forget that as Christians we're called to live for the service of others. Yeah? When we're, when we're under the cosh, we can go in on ourselves, can't we? Anyone? <laughs> and you can forget, yeah, okay, I'll serve others when I'm through this season. You know? Or you just, you just get caught up with your own kind of survival or your own kind of thing. The Christian life is a life of service to others. It requires sacrifice. It requires learning how to prefer other people. That's not natural. Preferring others isn't natural. It's very unnatural. <laughs> Supernatural. Um, and I think in straightened times, it can go out the window. People can just start looking after themselves and I'm just struck here by Daniel's concern it's beyond himself 
beyond his immediate circle, cares about people. I can't really, that's not really a sign and a wonder, is it? It's just, just a bit of green stuff. Anyway, maybe one day. <clears throat> I was... <laughs> I was, struck by the <laughs> I was struck by the image of a, of, of a tree. Now, frequently in the Bible, there's the image of a tree planted by streams of water. You're familiar with the image, right? If you've been around the Bible at all long. So Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17. So these are beautiful, inspiring things. Psalm 1 says, um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, etc., etc. And then when you get to Jeremiah 17, it's a very similar kind of idea. Jeremiah 17, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it doesn't cease to bear fruit. Magnificent promises. But there's something else a tree does as well. A tree absorbs carbon dioxide and gives out oxygen. Most extraordinary thing which is why forests are so important for our planet, of course, because we, we do the opposite. We take in oxygen and we, we put out carbon, carbon dioxide. And it's just struck me this, that a tree is able to absorb, if we use the idea figuratively, a tree is able to absorb you know, all the stuff that comes out of us. And do just fine with it. Not, just, not do just fine with it, but almost do something magical with it. As long as its roots are well nourished. As long as, it's, as long as it's planted by the water. It's able to absorb the stuff that we breathe out. And do something life-giving with it. And I think if we're going to take seriously living in the service of others we have to take even more seriously being planted by streams of water. Like We literally have to begin prioritizing it. Like I'm taught, I, I, I do, I do want to take, I do, if, if I'm able, want to take things somewhere where it feels a bit more serious than perhaps it has before. Because like I said at the start, I think that we are entering very trying times. And I think the, le the measure of uncertainty around the environment, around uh, global economy, uh, around potential nuclear war, th these, things, these things are taking us to places where you need to really know, number one, what your feet are planted on, and number two, where you're dr drawing your life from. Because we're, we're, being, we're being drawn into things way bigger than just... Um, minor personal problems. And, and in a season like that, it's the church that's got the answer to a worried, anxious, broken world. Okay? Because we've, we, we understand it. We understand it. We, have, we know the story. Okay? 
We understand why these things happen. We understand the insanity of sin. Okay, we understand it. We understand why people do crazy things. We understand why people do illogical things. But self, we get it because we, un- we biblically we understand the ideas, the doctrines that are going on in there. But if we're too busy being worried and fretting ourselves and losing confidence in the story, then obviously we're going to be just as uh, fretful as everyone else. But if we will have something of a sense of abandon concerning our relationship with the Lord and a sense of priority in terms of just really drawing very near to him and, and really understanding what are the things that are eternal and, and, and will remain because they're unshakable and what are the things that won't and invest, then I think we can become the kind of church that this society really needs right now. And so I want to just put that out there and not, not in a way that would cause you to feel that I'm putting a burden on you that is unbearable because the Bible says God's commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said that his burden is light and his yoke was easy. So it's not that, but there's a seriousness. There's a seriousness. There is a, there is a, uh, a sense of grappling with what does it mean to be a people who, when you boil it all down, are about one thing. Yeah, yeah? We care about all sorts of stuff. That's just natural and human. But when you really boil it down, what are we about? So we're about Jesus, kingdom. That's what we're about. That's what we're seeking. And if we can't say that, I think we're going to get caught out. I think the heat's going to get too hot. I think we're going to get caught out. So I just want to encourage and exhort us to freshly find delight in this extraordinary gift we have. Eternal life in Jesus. Forgiveness of sins by his blood. Transformation from the inside out as a result of his sacrifice for us. Resurrection life that starts on the inside when we receive him in faith. And to find our delight in him. And trust that as we do so in whatever part God calls us to play, big or small, that we'll be able to be faithful to the Lord and a blessing to others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's just have a a moment to, to be still before God. Some of us, you've said you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Why am I here? What's going on? You know, sometimes it is because we've made crazy decisions and we need to just, you know, get right with God. Sure. Very often, it's just life in a fallen world. And we, and we need the Lord to help us to just walk through that and allow us to rely on him more as a result rather than relying on ourselves. Some of us just committing our way to the Lord. Lord, please can you give me people to run with? Please can you give me people to run with, Lord? People to build that foundation of trust with. Please can you help me take this seriously? And then, Lord, please, please help me to really plant myself, 
by you, close to you, so that I can live a life of service to others. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Lord, you'd enable me to be able to do that for your glory and for your name's sake. Just allow the Lord to... It's always good is to, to just be before God and be a little bit... Um, What's the word? Um, show a little bit, perhaps more common sense than sometimes we do as spiritual people and just say, Lord, is there one thing in the next hour or in the next 24 hours that I can do to put one of these things into practice? Is there a mind shift I need to make? Is there someone I need to reach out to? Is there some time I need to carve out to just pray and ask you about some stuff? What, what, what can I do practically in this next spot, this next season, in order to respond in faith to what, what we've seen in your word today?